All right. Hello and welcome to Encounter Church. We're so glad that you could be here with us today. My name is Daniel. I'm on the speaking team here at Encounter. And as always, it is a blessing and an honor for me to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Hey, today we're going to wrap up our mini-series called Hidden Miracles, where we take a look at the very beginning of Christ's miracle uh, ministry and the very end of Christ's ministry uh, and see some of the miracles that he did, maybe some of the ones that are more obvious, the ones that we always talk about, and then some of the ones that are more subtle and the ones that are more hidden, but, but important nonetheless. Uh, last week, we talked about temptations, and we said that that, that, that blaring obvious uh, miracle that Jesus uh, committed was, sorry, committed, uh, that Jesus performed was uh, to last 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. And that was, that was amazing. Um, but the hidden miracle, the hidden miracle was that Jesus was able to stand strong in the word of God and to face his temptations when he was weak, when he was in trouble. He was able to rely on the word of God to overcome and to, and to do amazing things through the power of the word of God. This week, we're going to take a look at the very, very tail end of Christ's ministry. Um, it's kind of like the very, very end uh, when, when he comes to somebody who is, who is very broken and is, is at, the very, like, um, at, at a very low point in their life. They're at the lowest point of their life, and Christ comes and does amazing, something amazing in the life of Peter, who, who is at the lowest point in their lives. I'm excited to share this with you. Uh, but before we do that, I want to share a quick story uh, of a very low point in my own life. Uh, this, this happened last year. It, was, it, was, it took place in Yosemite National park where a lot of my accidents happen. Uh, and um, it, it was a very, very low point in my life. I, I was trying to climb a route called Steck Salafe on Sentinel Rock with my buddy Spencer. Um, I brought a picture with me. It's a beautiful rock. Um, it kind of shows you you have to like scramble up some exposed terrain and then, and then climb the crest of this beautiful rock and then there's a descent goalie. That was, uh, that's right there. Sorry, Colin. Um, <laughs> It was, it's a beautiful piece of rock. I was excited for it. I wanted to, I wanted to climb it for a very, very long time. And, and me and Spencer were so excited to, to go about climbing this. But certain things happened during this climb that, made, that indicated that this was going to end up in a bad, bad way. And that it was going to be a very, very low point in my life. First thing that happened. Um, so you see that part where it says exposed? Right when I got about there, I had some like, insane bowel movements. I don't know what was going on or what I had ate the night before. But it was bad. It was rough. Okay, don't use your imaginations. Just, it was just terrible. And my buddy Spencer, we wasted a lot of time. Um, just, just wasted a lot of time. My buddy Spencer was upset with me. Um, but we finally got to the base. We started climbing. That was the first sign that we probably shouldn't have done this climb. Okay, that was the first indicator that this was, this was going to end up as a low point in my life. Um, the second indicator, you see where that second dot is? That's right, right around where pitch three is. Uh, Spencer was on lead, which meant I was holding him, and if he fell, it was my job to catch him, right? I fell asleep. I know, I was tired. And, and I had never done this before, but I was sitting in my harness, and I had dozed off, and the next thing I realized is like Spencer yelling down at me to like wake up because like I had fallen asleep while I was climbing. This is a big no-no. This is like falling asleep while you're driving and your buddy's in the passenger seat and he's like yelling at, to, yelling at you to wake up. That's what was happening to me. That was my second indicator that this was going to be a low point in my life and this was going to end badly, okay? Third point in my life, this route, Stex Salafay, is a classic route. It's a beautiful route. Anybody that you talk to that has climbed in Yosemite knows what this route is. Um, it, it, it's very claustrophobic as well. And I brought a picture of my buddy Spencer doing the hardest part. It's called the narrows. 60 feet, no protection. You just have to squeeze yourself into this chimney and shimmy your way up. And he took the hard pitch. He led us. And right after this had happened, right after this amazing pitch, it was my turn. And I had the easy pitch. But what I ended up doing was I, I went completely off route. 
if you're a rock climber, one of the skills that you need to have is to analyze the rock and understand like which crack system you have to climb up that's like on the on the map. Otherwise, you're gonna start climbing the rock crack system. It's gonna be very very dangerous because now you're off you're off route. Um, I got completely off route, and by the time I got to the top, I realized that there was this massive loop that I had done, and it was super super sketchy and super dangerous for my buddy Spencer to follow me. He would have to pull pieces of protection, and he would swing out, and it was just a very very bad plan. That was my third indication or my 50th indication that this was gonna end as a low point in my life. Um, fourth thing that indicated we somehow managed to get to the top uh, way later than we had expected, but we somehow managed to get to the top and it started raining. Now, now there's no indication that I needed to go down because now I had to go down because we're at the top. So we start this hike down, it starts raining. My buddy and I were like contemplating whether we want to like huddle together and like, 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 like sleep underneath a bush. And then we thought about what that meant that we had to like spoon each other and we're like, nope, we're headed down. I don't care if it takes all night, we're going down this mountain. Um, we start hiking down and there's, there, there's a very, very crucial rule that all climbers follow. You have to have three sources of light. Um, if, you, if you don't have a headlamp, if you run out of food or water, that's fine. You just tough it out, right? If you don't have light, you can't see where you're going, right? You can't, you can't get down. If you need rescue, you can't signal to helicopters. It's a bad plan. You've got to have three sources of light. So I always pack two headlamps with me, and worst case scenario, I have a light on my phone. So I pull out my first headphone, uh, head, headlamp. I throw it on. Click. Nothing comes on. I'm like, shoot, the battery is dead. The, uh, the pack, it must have turned on in the pack. Bad plan. But it's okay. I prepared and planned ahead. I have my backup headlamp. So I pull out my backup headlamp, throw my backup headlamp on, click. Light comes on for about five seconds, and then it's gone. No, what happened? My backup headlamp's up. Now I'm panicking. What ended up happening is, like, you, I had my helmet and, like, my, my iPhone 7, like, duct taped to my helmet um, that was, like, providing light so that I could, like, walk down this, like, sketchy, steep terrain. That was, like, the 77th indicator that this was going to be a low point. And the worst, the, the point where I hit rock bottom, and the reason why I'm telling you this story today is I was walking down very slow and steady. It was, it's a three-hour hike down, right? It's probably, like, 11, 30, 12 in the morning. We were supposed to be down by 8 p.m., Buddies are worried. Um, so I'm like slowly walking down this thing and I, I'm like, like leaning up against the side of the wall for like support as I'm like coming down this very steep hill. And then all of a sudden I feel like I, like, I, I thought I stabbed myself on a thorn. Right? And then I felt like, I, don't, I can't even describe the sensation well, but it was like numbness and coldness just like circulated my body like all of a sudden. Felt like something just got like injected into my, in my hand. And I looked over at what, what it was and this is what I saw right here. Yeah. That's a scorpion, okay, for those who don't know. That's a scorpion. Now I'm like ripping off my only source of light, Googling like, am I going to chop my hand off to like, am I going to survive, right? And I'm like freaking out. And it, it got to the point where like, like WebMD was like, you're gonna be fine, relax. So I was able to continue on. But this was a low point in my life. This was one of the lowest points in my life. And we got down at like three in the morning, had the best sandwich uh, that I've ever had in my life, but it was still nonetheless a low point in my life. And some of you guys understand what I'm, where I'm coming from. Some of you guys are in low points of your life or in low seasons of your life. Maybe it has to do with finances. Maybe you're struggling to make ends meet. You're, you're, uh, you don't know how you're going to get to the end of the summer. You don't know how you're going to get to the end of the year. You don't know if God is going to provide us a low point in your life. This is a low season in your life. Maybe, maybe you just graduated, right? Maybe you just graduated and now you have a $120,000 piece of paper and then you realize that that's not what I want to do anymore. That's a low point in your life. That's a low season in your life. I kind of understand. I get it. I know where you're coming from. It's hard. It's difficult. You don't know what the future is going to look like. You don't know what, how God is going to work through you, if God's going to work in you to do great things. It's a low season. It's a low point in your life. Perhaps it has to do with relationships. You look over with your parents or your significant other. It's not what it used to be. 
You know, maybe if, if it's your significant other, you, you, this is not as rosy as it used to be. You realize that you start to see some of the flaws in him. You start to see some of the flaws in her, and you got to start to deal with that. And you're starting to wonder if you even have to deal with that or if you're just going to find the next best thing. Things are hard. Things are difficult. You don't know what the future is going to look like. It's a low point in your life. Maybe it's with your parents. You know, like, this is kind of getting real for me, actually, because you're talking to, talking to your parents uh, very, very frequently, and it just kind of like dwindles, and you don't really talk to your parents anymore. It's a low point in your life. You want their support. You want their help. But you feel like you can't come to a place where you could uh, talk about some of the issues that have come up in the past. It's a low point in your life. We're going to look to a story where we see a man at the very rock bottom of his life. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to see a man who is just at the lowest point in his life, and Christ reaches down and does, amazing, does something amazing with him. Anyways, this story that we're going to look into, it comes from John 21. John 21 is the epilogue of the Gospel of John. It's just kind of like, and that's the way the cookie crumbled, or like that's the way, you know, the story ended. It's kind of like the epilogue, the very last scene where you see Christ interacting with his disciples before he goes up to be with, with God in heaven. And during this scene, you see something incredible happen. Christ comes to his disciples the exact same way that he came to them at the very first time. So after his resurrection, he appears before his disciples the very same way he appeared to them the very first time three years ago. He comes in the very break of dawn. He sees the disciples, and they're out fishing all night. They're tired. They haven't caught a single fish. They're tired. They're hungry. They're defeated. They don't have anything. And he yells out to them, and he says, look, why don't you try, like, bringing up the net and throwing it on the overside, see if that helps. And the disciples, for some reason, decide to listen to a stranger. They do it. And before they even knew who Jesus was, they, they pulled it up and threw it on the other side. They caught so much fish that the net started to rip. They, they had struggled bringing all of the fish that they caught to shore. That was a massive miracle. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they followed him. And something incredible happened. For the next three years, they witnessed Christ's ministry here on earth. They saw him do phenomenal, amazing miracles. He, they saw him change people's lives one by one in order to change the lives of many. They saw Jesus. They ate with him. They slept with him. They, they, they laughed with him. They cried with him. They suffered with him. And finally, they saw their Lord and Savior die on a cross, and they're defeated. But Christ didn't stop the story there. He resurrected, and he comes back to his disciples the very same manner at the crack of dawn. He sees them out fishing. They haven't caught a single thing. They're tired. They're hungry. They're defeated. And Christ goes to them and he says, hey, have you tried pulling up the net and throwing it on the other side? And for some reason, they listen to a stranger. They don't know it's Jesus. They, they pull up the net, throw it to the other side. They caught a marvelous amount of fish. The Bible tells us specifically 153 to be exact. And they get closer and they realize that it is their risen Lord, that there is hope again. And Peter the one who denied him just two weeks earlier, the one who stood around the fire with the guards that captured Jesus and the little girl. He said, I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I swear to you, I don't know this man. Peter sees Jesus. And I'm sure he's conflicted, but he's also excited. So in classic Peter fashion, he jumps off the boat and he starts swimming to Jesus. All the other disciples are just like, just doing the normal thing, rowing. Peter, Peter is excited. He's Peter. He jumps off. He starts swimming over to Jesus, and he, now he's face to face with Jesus, and this is what happens. Will you please turn with me to John 21, verse 9. The Bible is there. There's Bibles underneath your seat. The words are on the screen behind me. If you like our Bibles better, we love giving them away every single week. Feel free to take this with you. John 21, verse 9. It says this. When they landed... 
they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. I want to pause there for, for a quick second because it says in verse 9 that when they landed, they saw that Jesus was standing by the fire. There was fish and there was bread. Jesus had breakfast ready. And in the very next verse, the first thing Jesus says to them is bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now, this strikes me as odd. This strikes me as confusing. Why? Because Jesus already had breakfast ready. Why does he need the provisions? Why does he need the fish that the disciples are bringing? Also, why does he need the fish that he provided to the disciples Right? I mean, Jesus took fish and bread and he fed like 5,000 people with it. Why, why would he need the toils and the labors of his disciples when he already had provisions, provisions ready? Right? Jesus didn't need it. But what the story is telling us today is that Jesus wanted it. Jesus cared about their efforts. Jesus cared about their work. That mattered. He wanted that to include into the provision that he was providing for them. Friends, this might be a message for us today. That even if you feel like God has it under control, he still cares about the work that you put in. He still wants to work with you. If you're at a low point in your life, Christ brings you to the shore, offers you food, and says, let's do this thing together. Not because I need you, but because I want you. I want to be with you. I want to do this thing with you. Let's have fellowship. Let's do this thing together. We, we worship a God that is full of grace and truth and love. And I love that. And I love that he is speaking to us today. He comes. He says, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And then Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Friends, I love that image. I love that image because it is an image that we see repeatedly throughout the Bible. It is an image that we see in one of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, Bible stories of Elijah back in the Old Testament. Elijah, sort of like Jesus, was, was in the wilderness uh, traveling for 40 days and 40 nights. He gets to a bush. He collapses. He crawls underneath the bush and he says, I'm done with this. I'm done. Je- like, take my life away from me. I'm I'm through. And the angel of God appears before Elijah. And, he, and the angel of God says, calm down, calm down. Before you do anything, before you panic, before you give up, just have something to eat. And Christ does the exact same thing. These disciples have been out all night. They, they, they're tired, they're hungry, they're defeated. They haven't caught a single fish. And not only does, does he provide all of the fish that they needed for, for like the entire week probably, but he also says, come, have breakfast with me. Our God provides for us in our weakness and in our despair. He says, come have a meal with me. Literally, physically, come have a meal with me. And that's hope and that's grace in our life today. That is exciting. It says in verse 15, after they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Time for some real talk. Peter is no, no doubt conflicted by the past two weeks when he, when he denied Christ and now Christ is having breakfast with him. He's conflicted. And when, when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, I have to imagine that was like a spear going through his heart. Because friends, there's two things that I noticed about this, this statement that Jesus spoke. He says, Peter, sorry, he says, Simon, son of John. He doesn't use Peter because Peter was a name that was given to him after he had met Christ. Peter was a name that was given to him after he had witnesses of the miracles of Christ and the resurrecting power of Christ. Peter was a name that was given to him when, when Jesus said, Pet, on this Petros, I will build my church. Peter was the name that was given to him as he was walking on water and living and fellowshipping and breathing and, and, and dining with Jesus. That's the name. That's Peter. Peter knows who Jesus is. The guy that denied Jesus two weeks earlier, that wasn't Peter. That was Simon, the son of John. 
And Jesus is putting him on blast right now. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's a loaded question. The second thing that I notice is the word agape here. Because when Jesus asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the word agape. In the Greek language, there are various words for the word love. There's some more emphatic than others. Agape is, 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 is top tier. It's like the strongest form of love that you can give to somebody. It's sacrificial love. It's all in love. It's the type of love that encourages somebody to take a bullet for somebody else. That's agape love. Christ is looking at Peter and saying, do you love me? Do you have sacrificial love for me? Do, will, will you live out the life that I have, I have uh, like demonstrated for you? Will you follow in my footsteps and carry the cross? And Peter responds like this. He says, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, what, what strikes me here is the word love that, that Peter uses. You would imagine that he would respond, yes, Lord, I agape you, but that's not what we see. Peter instead responds with, yes, Lord, I feele you. It's a different kind of love. It's a less emphatic type of love. It's a, it's, a, it's a brotherly friendly kind of love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Peter can't bring himself to be all in. He, Peter can't bring himself to have that sacrificial love because he remembers two weeks ago, he was standing around the fire just like how he's sitting around the fire with Jesus right now and he denied him three times. He said, I don't know you. I don't know him. I swear to you, I don't know him. And that eats them up. And as he's eating the bread and as he's eating the fish, he had to have remembered that Jesus fed 5,000 people with that fish and bread. And that the miracle working Christ that did that then is the miracle working Christ that is sitting before him and he's just not worthy. He isn't worthy. But Christ is persistent. He says this in verse 16. Again, Christ said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Again, same question and same response. Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I feel you. You know that I have brotherly love for you. But this, this agape love that you're talking about, this, this, this sacrificial, this all-in type of love, that boat sailed for me two weeks ago. When you demonstrated everything, you demonstrated your power and your love and your persistency to follow and chase after me, I stood before nobodies and I denied you as my Lord and Savior. That redemption boat, that, that capacity for me to do anything, to come back to you, that ship has sailed. I can't do anything. And Christ is looking back at Peter and he's like, I agree with you. You can't do anything but let me see what I can do. And in verse 17, it says this, the third time Christ is persistent, he said to him, Simon, son of God, do you love me? And you would expect that he would use the word uh, agape again, that the same two times before he would use the word agape, but you don't see that in the text. You see that Christ comes and he's all like, you're broken. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think you're, you're busy guilt tripping yourself. That's fine. I'm still going to use you. Christ asked him, Simon, son of God, do you feel me? Why do you think he changed it to feel? Why do you think Christ did that? It's because he was meeting Peter where he's at. It's like you're in the dumps. You feel like you could only feel love me. That's fine. We could work with that. I care about you enough to meet you there, but I love you enough not to leave you there. We're going to do something great together. And they did. Peter became the first pope ever. That's the power that Christ brings to us today. That when we're in our, our lowest points, when we're in our ditches, and we're, when we're in darkness, Christ is coming to us and saying, that's fine. You can stay there, but I'm not going to leave you there. 
You can stay there and not come to me, I'll come to you. I will rescue you. You follow me and we'll do something great together. You follow me, I'll bring you into new light. You follow me and I'll bring you, bring you into new life. And he did that to Peter. In verse 19, he commands him this. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. The very same command that he started off with. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's the very same command that Christ leaves at the very end of his ministry. Follow me. Feed my sheep. You're broken. That's fine. You're at a place where you don't feel like you deserve my love. That's fine. I'm going to come down and meet you. And me and you, we're going to do something amazing together. And they did. Friends, are you at a place in your life where you feel like that, like walking through the doors of this church, lightning should have struck you? Are you at a place in your life where you feel like you don't deserve God's love and God's just reaching down into, into the lies that the devil is feeding you and he's saying, look, I'm meeting you where you're at. I care enough about you. There's two things that point, that, that, that strike me when I listen to this story, when I hear this story. One is that God is gracious enough to meet us where we're at but he loves us enough not to leave us there. He looks at Peter and he's all like, you're falling, you're weak, you don't think you deserve this? I'm gonna use you anyways. And we're gonna do something great together. And I believe that the Spirit is speaking today that that is true for us. That the God who created the heavens and the earth and the God that came back and resurrected us and saved us and promised us that he will use us to bring new life to the kingdom of God is the same God that is promising today that in your life, whatever garbage that you're going through, whatever lies that the devil is tempting you with, whatever, whatever addictions that you may have or whatever garbage that the devil is placing into your heart, that's fine. You don't have to stay there. I will come and rescue you. Follow me. I will show you what agape love is. And you can show other people what agape love is. That's the first thing that strikes me. The second thing that strikes me, friends, is something that we touched upon last week. Is that God uses broken people to heal broken people. It says three times in the passage, he says to Simon Peter, go and feed my sheep. What an odd command to give to somebody that can't even profess their true love. Right? That's, such a, that's such a weird thing for me, but Christ knew that Peter was broken. Christ knew that Peter needed healing. And Christ knew that he wasn't going to wait until Peter fixed himself. He was just going to use broken Peter to fix other broken people and start literally the church on top of his ministry. Our God is a powerful God that you, in our brokenness works through us anyways and does something amazing in us anyways. He does something amazing in community. Friends, I stood before you here last week and I told you a temptation that I was going through. I told you a struggle that I was going through. I said that, that the temptation of pornography had a grasp on my life until God saved me from myself. And I said that we were going to start a small group and do something about it as a community, as we root ourselves in the word of God. I also said that this thing didn't exist yet. And I stood before you and I was not lying. There wasn't a name. There wasn't a plan. There wasn't a curriculum. Nobody had even signed up because I was telling you guys all like, like live that day. And I didn't know if this was going to crash and burn. I didn't know if this was something that the Spirit actually wanted to happen here at Encounter until t this, this past week happened. Because the Spirit gave us a name. It's going to be called Overcome. He gave us a tagline. God uses broken people to heal broken people. He gave us people. The email started trickling in. The, the connection cards, the boxes were full. People said, I want Christ to make a, re a, a, a lasting change in my life. I want the resurrection power in my life. I want the word of God to be the anchor of how I defeat my temptations and my addictions. And it was amazing. I don't have a curriculum yet. We're working on that. But I believe that the Spirit will provide. I was going into this. The, the way that I know that the Spirit is working in this 
It's because I went into this thinking worst, worst comes to worst. Well, worst comes to worst, my people come first. But worst comes to worst, push comes to a shove. I could have spearheaded this for like the men's side. I didn't know who was going to sign up, right? I don't know if this was going to be a men's ministry or I didn't know if it was going to be more than that. But if it's, if it's a men's ministry and like no one wants to uh, help lead this thing, you know, I could put something together. I could figure it out. I didn't know what, who was going to sign up for this thing. And as the emails started coming in and as I looked through the connection cards, it was like initially split almost 50-50 between men and women. And then I started to lose, lose faith. I started to like start panicking, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I need to find a leader. Like, I'm like, look, I'm like asking people, can't find anybody in the community. We're going to start asking people outside the community. I need to find the perfect person because the perfect person is going to be a solution to this, not the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until Dirk pulled me aside and he was like, look, I thought the whole point of this thing was that broken people, God uses broken people to heal broken people. It's time to put your money where your mouth is. Why don't you shoot out an email to the women that have reached out for help? and see if God will really truly use broken people to heal broken people. I didn't like this plan. I wasn't in control. I, didn't, I, I, was like, I thought this was ludicrous. I thought, it was, I thought it was insane that I would ask, I would reach out to the people that was asking for help to, be, to help me. But the more I thought about it and the more I prayed about it, the Spirit was saying, if you truly believe that God is using broken people to heal broken people, then watch me do something amazing through this. So I reluctantly, I hesitantly hammered out an email. I said, this is, this is the group that we're starting. I feel like God is going to work in this and through this ministry, that there are people in our community that need your help. You might, you might feel like you're not worthy enough. You might feel like you're not, you're, not, you're not good enough or whatever, but we believe that God uses broken people to heal broken people, and I'm asking for your help today. If you feel like the Spirit is leading you to a place where you want to be a leader in this community, if you want to be a leader in what's happening, what the Spirit is doing here, please, 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 we need your help. Please consider volunteering for Overcome. I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get. I didn't know if I was going to get a response at all. I didn't know if this was all going to crash and burn. I didn't know if it was just going to be a men's ministry. But that very same day, the Spirit worked in the hearts of the women that I emailed. I got an email back just hours later saying, you're right. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not deserving of leading this. But I feel like God is going to use me to do amazing things anyways. I feel like God is going to use broken people like me to fix broken people in this community. And I want to help. I want to be a leader. And at that point, friends, I was dancing in my room. I was excited to see what the Spirit was doing in this community. I was excited to see how God was going to make lasting change in people's lives through this and in this as we could tackle this addiction together as a community. I was excited. Until I got to the second part of her email. She said, I would really appreciate it if you found a co-leader to do this with me. I'm like, you're the unicorn. You're the unicorn that I found that was going to be the answer to all of this. How am I going to find another person? I need to go to outside sources. I don't have faith in Christ. This this isn't going to work out. It's all going to crash and burn. And I was panicking. I started to, all the doubts came back in and God left me enough time to let all of the doubt come back in. And not 30 minutes later, I got another email from another woman. She said, I'm all in on this. Let's do this thing together. Let's do this as a community. We're going to fight this together. And in that moment, friends, I knew that the Spirit was working in this place. I knew that in the darkness, in the depths, and at the lowest point in people's lives, Christ is meeting us where we're at. And he's extending out a hand. And he's saying, come with me. I'm going to do amazing things in your life. You're broken. That's fine. You don't think you have it all together? That's fine. I use broken people to heal broken people. I use broken people to fix and and to, to build up my kingdom. I use broken people like you to do amazing things with my kingdom, friends. And he's saying to you today, will you come with me? Friends, he's saying today, will you join me in this journey? It's not going to be easy. 
It's not going to be a stroll in the park. It's going to be very hard. There's going to be times where you want to give up. There's going to be times where you come up empty-handed. But do you trust that in your weakness, I am strong? Do you trust that in your weakness, I have the power to do something amazing? In your weakness, that my light will shine brighter than ever before and that together we will overcome. If you're at a place in your life where you feel like this is something of temptation, if, you feel, if you're at a place in your life where you feel like you're alone in this, you don't have to be. A community is starting here. We have over a dozen men. We have over half a dozen women that are saying, I am standing up strong to my temptations in the word of God, and we're going to overcome this together as a community. Pick up a connection card. If you feel like God is calling you, email me, danielencounterchurch.org, or leave your email. I will contact you personally. I have talked with countless of people, and God is starting to write a resurrection story here at Encounter Church. And if you feel like you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a leader of that, God is, God is leading you to that, then please contact me. Please. I want, to, I, want, I want to do this together. I want to do this as a community. And I feel like in that power, in that strength, we think back to when Christ was tempted for three days, for, for, for three times and with temptation from the devil. We see that the devil is persistent with his lies, but we also see today in this story that Christ is, to, is persistent with his reckless love. He, just, as, just as the devil said three times and, and tempted him, Jesus is reckless with his love here, and three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And as we go forward today, as we go forward in the strength that is the word of God, as we go forward, that is the strength of, of, of God's promise that he will meet us where we're at and he won't leave us there, and that he will do amazing things in his kingdom. Friends, I pray that we will have the courage to stand up, that we will have the courage to overcome, that we will see Christ's hidden miracle of resurrecting Peter in our lives today. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear God, we come to you broken in pieces at the lowest point of our lives, at a point where we don't have the strength to come out by ourselves. We don't have the strength to, to, to crawl out of the mess that we've, we've put ourselves in and you say, you say that's fine. Let me come down and meet you where you're at. Let me come down and heal you. Let me come down and restore you. Let me come down and bring you into a new light. Let me come down and bring you into a new life. Thank you. Thank you for that grace. We need that in our lives today, Lord God, and you provide as you always have. We pray that as the Spirit continues to move in this place, that as we continue to fight the evil one, that we may ground ourselves in the Word of God, that the hidden miracles that you have portrayed in the Word of God may be miracles that we see in our lives today, and that, that you continue to write a resurrection story in our lives today, that we can do it as a community, that we could do it grounded in the word of God, and that we could do it with our eyes focused and our hearts focused on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.